four insane stories of obsession. Everything in moderation are words to live by, because pretty much everything in excess, even love, leads to bad things. Too much unbridled affection or unrelenting admiration can make a person go crazy. Here are four insane stories of obsession. Number four, Robert Bardo. Born in Tucson, Arizona in 1970, growing up, Robert Bardo was a big fan of movies. Throughout his childhood and well into his teenage years, he found joy in writing fan mail to celebrities. He led a turbulent life and was often abused by his cruel older siblings while being neglected by his mentally ill mother and alcoholic father. Young Robert had attempted to ask for help by writing letters to one of his teachers where he expressed his desire to end his life and to murder others. This prompted the school to recommend psychiatric intervention, but that was ignored and ultimately is what led to a further decline in his mental health. Bardo's stalking days began with a trip to Maine where he headed to track down a young peace activist named Samantha Smith. He was, however, apprehended and sent back home before he could actually do anything. His next obsession, though, came quick when he moved on to 80s pop star Debbie Gibson, and he went as far as taking a bus to New York City with the intent of finding her, but was unsuccessful. And then his life totally changed one day, in October of 1986, when the 16-year-old kid first laid eyes on Rebecca Schaefer, who appeared on what was then a newly launched sitcom called My Sister Sam. Schaefer played the part of Patty Russell, a spunky teen who lives with her older sister in San Francisco. Smitten, Bardo began regularly sending letters to the actress. This went on for about a year until the summer of 87 when she actually replied. Yours was one of the nicest I ever got, her note said. Bardo's feelings for her then intensified so much so that he flew to see her in Burbank, California, where the show was being filmed. He was denied entrance, of course, several times, but he was determined to meet her one way or another. After all, they were meant to be together. She just didn't know it yet. In 1989, my sister Sam ended and Schaefer appeared in the movie Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, where she was involved in a sex scene. This enraged Bardo, who once again headed to Los Angeles, hired a private investigator and obtained the starlet's home address, 120 North Switzer Avenue. Bardo buzzed the star's apartment, and when she answered the door, he showed her the letter and autograph that he had received from her. She politely asked him to leave, which he did, but shortly after he came back and buzzed again. This time when she opened the door, Bardo pulled out a gun from a brown paper bag and without hesitation shot her in the chest, killing her. He was already back in Tucson the next day when authorities received reports of him shouting on a busy highway that he had killed Rebecca Schaefer. Bardo was arrested and extradited back to California, where he confessed to the murder 
and received a life sentence without parole in 1991. Number 3. Derek Knowles In April of 2012, Derek Knowles received a restraining order for stalking an unnamed woman with whom he had a three-month-long affair with. Knowles, a truck driver by profession, didn't want things to end and so he kept on calling and texting. Once the restraining order was in place, he then had to get creative in order to let the world know about his love and feelings. So in 2013, he began reaching out to Smooth FM, a local radio station in London. On the show, Lynn Parsons in the Morning, he had the host do shoutouts on air to the love of his life. The stalker described his former partner in all sorts of flattering ways and even called her his beautiful bride-to-be. He would text out these shout-outs, and when they were mentioned on air by people other than himself, he was able to skirt around the restrictions of the restraining order. The victim's name has been withheld for safety measures, so we'll just call her Sarah. In a message he sent on March 18th, Knowles texted to the host, Hi Lynn, could you say hi to the beautiful Sarah? We'll see you later for coffee. If possible, could you play some Take That? and he signed that off with the nickname Tim. The woman, who was already in her 40s, was notified about the dedication by a colleague who happened to know about their breakup. Shocked at what she had heard, she immediately contacted the station and then the police. An investigation was conducted, and it revealed that the trucker had made a total of 10 other text requests between May 2012 and March 2013. Management at the station, meanwhile, could not determine which of the requests had been broadcast. In most of the messages, the perpetrator pretended to be someone else who knew the involved parties. In one of the texts, he said, Hi Lynn, could you please say hello to a couple of friends, Derek Knowles and Sarah. Hope they are still together. Could you say hi to Derek and Sarah and ask him if he's asked her to marry him yet? In the trial that took place at the Manchester Crown Court, Knowles admitted to having breached the restraining order, although he denied having intentions to contact the woman. As a result, he was sentenced to six months in prison, two years suspension, and a hundred hours of community service for his creepy stalking ways. Number 2. Richard Farley 35-year-old Richard Farley had a bright future working as an electrical engineer for Electromagnetic System Labs Incorporated in Sunnyvale, California. An intelligent and sociable person, the man was generally well-liked at his workplace. In April of 1984 is when Farley first laid eyes on Laura Black, a new hire over at ESL. For whatever reason, Richard quickly fell head over heels for her and almost immediately became obsessed with the new girl. It started out with dinner invites, all of which Black had no interest in and rejected. Not easily deterred, however, the lovesick man continued to ask her out. He would shower her with gifts, and in the four years that he'd been pursuing her, Richard was able to send more than 200 letters 
Some of these notes contained very creepy parts in them. For example, doctored photos of him and her together. He developed the habit of following her around in his car, even showing up at her house uninvited so many times that she would have to move around to try and get away from him. In 1985, Black went to Human Resources for help. The company ordered the man to stay away from her and to attend psychological counseling sessions. But the obsession and stalking continued, and Farley's behavior at the workplace worsened, so much so that he began threatening other fellow ESL employees. On the pretext of his poor performance as an employee, he was fired from the company in May of 1986. In the following months, the woman suffered more harassment, and in February of 1988, she filed a temporary restraining order against the perpetrator, which she was granted. A day before the court hearing was scheduled regarding his harassment, Farley arrived at his former workplace armed with a shotgun, a hunting rifle, two revolvers, and two handguns. He randomly shot the first person he came across, somebody in the parking lot. He then entered the ESL building and shot several other people as he walked down the hallways. Investigators said he fired at least 50 rounds, shooting at everyone he encountered. Employees were running everywhere, through the doors and out of windows, and some chose to barricade themselves in their offices. When the gunman arrived at Black's office, he fired through the closed door and hit her in the shoulder. Witnesses said the entire shooting lasted for a half an hour before a SWAT team arrived at the scene and a standoff between him and the police lasted for five hours before he finally surrendered. In the end, seven innocent people, five men and two women were killed. Four others, including Black, suffered serious injuries from gunshot wounds. A woman was hospitalized for almost a month but made a full recovery. On October 21, 1991, Farley was found guilty on all seven counts of first-degree murder and was given the death sentence on January 17, 1992. He is currently incarcerated in San Quentin Prison, where he still awaits execution. Number 1. Colette Dwyer and Derek Todd Lee Gut feel is a curious thing. Without a real understanding of it, it tells us that there's just something not exactly right. Colette Dwyer had more than a few of those gut feels. Sadly, though, they were all ignored by police, resulting in a terrifying string of events that shook Louisiana down to its core. Dwyer was a firefighter living in St. Francisville, Louisiana, when she first met Derek Todd Lee back in 1999 outside her apartment building. In the brief conversation they had, he told her he was there visiting friends, but when she later checked with them, they said they had no idea who he was. He went on to show his creepier side when he began to hang around near the woman's place hiding in the bushes. The situation got worse when Lee forced his way into her apartment one night, claiming that he just wanted to take care of her. She played it cool and he eventually left, He would show up at her workplace, and when she could no longer withstand the harassment, Dwyer decided to press charges in August of 1999. 
St. Francisville police arrested him on charges of stalking and peeping, and he was put on probation in December of that year. Months later, authorities picked him up once again for breaking his probation and sentenced him to nine months in jail. He got out in January of 2001, and much the shock of Dwyer, he once again showed up at her apartment. The succeeding months were a total nightmare for her as he continued to terrorize her with his unwanted presence. Not long after that, Dwyer heard the news about the murder of a Baton Rouge woman named Charlotte Murray, and her gut told her that her stalker could be somehow involved. She called police about her hunch, but her tip went to the wayside because they thought that the perpetrator in the killing was a white man. Two months later, Pam Kinnamore was found raped and brutally murdered. Once again in this case, Dwyer's information was ignored. It took authorities another few months to actually consider even questioningly, but not before another woman named Carrie Yoder was beaten, raped, and killed in March of 2003. This time, the suspect's DNA was taken and proved to match the DNA evidence collected not only from the aforementioned three crime scenes, but for four other murders as well. At this point, the killer already had a nickname, the Baton Rouge Serial Killer, All the while that these murders were occurring, Lee never stopped stalking Dwyer. Finally, his arrest came on May 26, 2003 for the murder of Yoder. He then stood trial for all seven murder charges, was found guilty, and sentenced to death. He died, though, on January 21, 2016, due to heart disease complications while being detained at Louisiana State Penitentiary. So there were four insane stories of obsession. Millions of people have been victims of stalkers and had to deal with terrifying and uncomfortable situations as a result. While many will survive their ordeals, some unlucky victims will not. And so when a person becomes obsessed, it is important that it be taken very seriously. If you like this video, then please subscribe because every week we're putting out new mysterious videos for you to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.